Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carol. Hi, I'm Terrell. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Terrell. And uh, I'll pass around a picture so you can see some physical recovery. Um, let's see. So I get the numbers out of the way. Uh, my top weight is somewhere around 325 pounds, and I have uh, 36 years of abstinence. So I've uh, been doing this too for a long time. And I always preface every one of my pitches with an opinionated old-timer. And when you get 36 years of abstinence, you can talk to me. You know about my opinions, but it, uh, I try to ground everything I, I say in the big book or in the 12-step program. Sometimes I get a little bit, uh, uh, a little off course, a little bit, but then someone seems to tell me, so I don't worry about it. Anyway, you know, it's a. Uh, I was kind of thinking about this, this speaking tonight and going like, oh, I don't know if I'm qualified because see, I put on about. 25 pounds in the last three months um, and I'm thinking like maybe you guys would like judge me I should probably preface that that um, in end of September my appendix ruptured caused a blocked intestine went in the hospital um, for a week got out for a couple of days and went back in the hospital for another week so I actually lost about 30 pounds in three weeks um, and I put back about 20 pounds actually you know, and I, of course, my stinking thinking, my head tells me, well, why didn't I, like, eat the way I should so I can maintain that 30-pound weight loss? <laughs> you know, I mean, that, I, mean, I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but that's like, you know, like, I, I mean, literally, for two, for two weeks, there was no food, no water in my mouth at all. It was like, that's what, that was the treatment, was you don't eat, you don't drink, nothing. So you lose a lot of weight real quick. And so I started eating back to the normal way I normally eat, and I put back weight on. So I don't know, I just, you know, but my stinking thinking, my head, tells me, well, I should have done better, right? If only I would have ate less, I wouldn't have put that weight back on. I would have been down at a, you know, anyway. That's my craziness. Um, 36 years of, of, sobri- of abstinence, doesn't make the craziness go away. It just makes it quieter. Not necessarily insidious, just quieter. Um, I get, I'll tell you a little bit so that you know. I mean, you can see a picture. Um, those are high school pictures. Um, you know, I've been blessed, you know, that pretty much my entire life I've been at goal weight. Um, but the damage was done early. The damage was done early. Um, I came into, I was born into a dysfunctional family um, with the disease riddled throughout. I mean, you could just throw up an addiction. It was probably there. Um, And so I was very proud of the fact that I wasn't a heroin addict like my sister. But I was 325 pounds, you know. Everyone in my family found a way out. We all wanted away from the, we all wanted out of the family. We all, we all, None of us wanted to be who we were in our family. None of us wanted to be who we were, period. So we found a way to escape. I discovered um, a fudge sickle at age four. And that took me out. That literally changed my life. 
a fudgesicle. Um, I had been shipped to California because my parents were in a divorce, and I was living with my um, aunt or my grandmother at the time, and I was the kid with the accent, and I was like the unusual one. So I came from the dysfunctional family, and I'm thrown into age five, into this, or age four, where I was the unique one, that I was different, and I felt it. And I discovered a fudgesicle. And it was my mother's love that was, you know, back in Oklahoma. It was my friends that I didn't have, never. I mean, it was just everything. Was, and I remember eating that fudgesicle and that warm glow that came over me. And uh, that set me down the path to try and repeat that fudgesicle glow. I mean, uh, you know, that... And it's, it's always that first bite, right? It's not the last bite that causes the glow. It's the first one. And that's why one of my favorite pamphlets is, before you take that first compulsive bite, it says, think past that first bite, that warm glow we get from the first bite. <coughs> first bite, we all get that warm glow. Boy, I mean, and it got the point where I didn't need the bite. If I just, if I could buy the food, and I had my food, then I know I could, was going to be safe. I knew I was going to be okay. So I got, you know, I from the get-go, I was just destined for insanity or death or a 12-step program. I mean, that's, I'm very, it's very clear about this. I'm very clear about the disease concept. The doctor's opinion is one of my favorite, cha- is my favorite chapter in the entire big book. Because it's literally, it's a medical opinion about me. It's not... I can leave the whole God thing away. I can leave everything away. I just go like, oh, my brain is different. I think differently. And that that thinking leads me to pass that it's not kind to myself. So, uh, let's see what happened. I was fat and miserable during high school. I was fat and miserable during junior high. I was fat and miserable during elementary school. And I blamed it on being fat. I couldn't, I couldn't separate miserable and fat. It was just, that was who I was. I was fat. I, I, I don't know if you, if, I mean, maybe you guys get it. I was fat. So I had no right to anything. I was fat, so I'm miserable. I'm fat. And so I just want to die. You know, it, it, there was like, there was, it was a, there was no disconnect that says, oh, you're fat. Oh, you're having a rough life, so maybe you should be your miserable over here. No, it was, I'm fat. And uh, at age 17, I was finishing high school. Um, that's the color picture you, you saw of me. Um, and, I, uh, and I said, I just wasted four years of high school. I'm going up to college, I'm going to waste four years of, because I was fat. I'm going to go to college, I'm going to waste another four years of life, of college, because I'm fat. And I'm going to waste the entire rest of my life, because I'm fat. Not, not because of any other reason, but because I was fat. And that was my curse. And so I went to my first meeting in 1973, um, 17 years old, going in. And uh, it was all housewives. You know, it was very few men. But there was one man who was speaking that night, and he said he'd lost 100 pounds. He was keeping it off. And so my first meeting I got something I haven't had ever had up to that point. Now I'm 17 years old. And I had, I had hope. 
Now, for a 17-year-old boy not to have hope, with his whole life ahead of him, but I had no hope. So, I got hope. I got a gray sheet of paper, and on that gray sheet of paper, there was a food plan that was suggested, like our steps were suggested. And I uh, took the food plan and worked it quite well, lost 125 pounds in about five, six months. Um, I was a 17-year-old boy. I graduated from high school. I went to work on a shipping loading dock, lifting mag rams, this big metal. And so I went from, you know, binging to two eggs and an orange, you know, and some crisp vegetables and four ounces of protein for lunch, you know, and lifting heavy, doing heavy physical labor. So, of course, I lost weight. I mean, duh. You know, it's one of those things where I wish to God I was a freak of nature, that I could eat whatever I want and not gain weight. I wish I was a freak of nature that I could say, see, I cut down to nothing and I didn't lose any weight. Well, I just put that to the test a couple months ago. If I don't eat for seven days, two weeks in a row, I'm going to lose 30 pounds in three weeks. It's the freaking law of nature, right? That's a, that's the law of nature that we, as compulsors, resent so much. <laughs> what I eat, I wear? No, that is not fair. I want to eat <laughs> and not show it. I want to be able to take my comfort and not show it. But I'm not a freak of nature. So I lost the weight. I didn't really want to take the steps because I, I just, I was, I, I'm, I, a, I don't know if a 17-year-old boy could have worked the steps. I don't know. It's one of those things where you talk about, the, about children coming in and trying to reach out to, to compulsory readers as they're young. I don't know if, if at 17 I could have worked the steps, but I know I couldn't work the steps because I couldn't do step four because I couldn't tell all the lies uh, that I had in my life and all the deep, dark secrets I had in my life. I would prayed to God, and God had, and I'd say, God, when I wake up, let me be thin, and I'd wake up 300-plus pounds. So I knew that God hated me. That was, I mean, that, that was a gig, right? Because of all those horrible thoughts and deeds in my life that I knew that there was no loving God. I was raised Baptist. My God was vengeful. He was omnipotent and omnipowerful. And here I am being 300 plus, ki- 300 plus pounds and having these alcoholic parents. And I'm thinking, I get the gig. My punishment is I get to be a 300 plus, 300 pound plus kid. And so I, why would I do step three to an asshole? Really? Like, why would I do step three to an asshole? I know what this asshole's like. You know? He's vengeful. He's mean. I can never live up to his standards. So why? So I can't work the steps. Like I said, I did work the food plan. I lost 125 pounds. And I went back out. Um, what, what I think will convince any young person to work the steps which I, convince, I think works, convinces any one of us to work the steps, to work a program. Because I went back out and put on about uh, 75 pounds and got back to like 250 pounds. Miserable. Miserable. Then I dealt with that deep dark secret. I came out of the closet. This was the mid-70s, so it was a big deal back then. Maybe it's a big deal now, but back then it was a really big deal. Um, and it was one of those deep dark secrets I was eating over, and I... I'm a firm believer that sexuality is what we eat over, one of the things we eat over as, com- as compulsory readers. And it does not, I'm not talking straight or gay. I'm just talking about sexuality. Um, and so I, I got back up, and then I came out of the closet, and I lost weight. 
I lost. I give up this nervous stomach because the obsessive mind that compulsive reader has. I was going to every one of my friends and anyone on campus going, "Do you think I'm gay? What do you think? What do you think I'm gay? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I'm gay?" <laughs> trying to get, make everyone oh, trying to get enough approval for me to be gay, then I can be gay. Someone finally said, "Don't decide. Just whatever happens, happens." It was like what a novel concept, right? <laughs> live and let live. Easy does it. One day at a time. One date at a time. But no, see, I had to, I had to make this decision, and oh my God, which is my stinking thinking, right? That's the type of thinking that makes me go like, oh my God, I can't do with life. I need a donut. So I, I um, got down to 160 pounds, which is one of those other pictures you saw me in the boat. That was my thin weight. That was my low weight. But I, my goal weight was 149. Um, and I can, it's a very clear one, it's 149. Because if you get on the doctor scale, you put the big weight on 100, right? So when I was down at 160, like what I call my donut diet, which is the only thing all day long, it's 9 or 10 donuts at night, to deal with all the, all the uh, rejection that I felt at the discotheque at, you know, in the, that night, I would stop and get donuts, you know, because I just had to. I mean, I just had to. You don't understand? No, I, I, I had to. Because I was rejected by all these men at the dance club that I just had to. And then I would go, okay, not tonight, not tonight. And I would drive, and I'd pass by the donut center and go, victory, victory over food. Now, maybe y'all never expressed that, had that feeling like, I have got victory over food. But victory over food is what I felt. That I had beat the game that I had beat the game this time. And this time, from now on, it's going to be different. And it would take two or three days and be back at my donuts. But I maintained my weight at 160 pounds, being crazy and insane. Um, what happened, it was... Um, a, a doctor told me that... Um, because he was my eye doctor, he operated my eyes, and was like a full-fledged eye doctor, not, not like today where you might go to some eyeglass shop and they... I mean, I don't want to make a judgment, but, I mean, it was like real, he operated, like he cut open my eyes. Anyway, he, uh, uh, he was trying to fit me for contact lenses, and this was, you know, back in the 70s, and it was like, well, come back in three weeks when I have your contact lenses. You know, and I come back in three weeks, and the prescription was wrong. He says, well, this is right, but what, your eyes are, ch-. okay, so I come back again in three weeks. So we went through this about three times, trying to get my eyesight correct, trying to get the right contact lens. So then he said, Cheryl, is there a history of that hypoglycemia or diabetes in your family? And I said, yeah. He said, Cheryl, are you eating sugar? And I mean, he asked, right? So I had to tell him. Well, little. Because, <laughs> you know, he asked a compulsive reader about his food. Don't you dare. Don't you dare question me about my food. Don't you dare make a comment about Don't you dare ask me about my food. That is none of your business. And so I said a little. And, uh, and I'm very clear. A lot of sugar is a three-pound box of seized candy. A little sugar is nine or ten donuts at night. Right? And I would never order a dozen because if you order a dozen donuts you make sure you're a compulsive overeater. But if you order nine or ten, you're not. We always have these rules, right? And so, um, so he told me, if I didn't stop eating sugar, be blind within a year. And uh, I then went to Europe and put on 30 pounds in six weeks. 
by binging my way through Europe. I had to binge my way through Europe. I, it was my first, it was my second time in Europe, actually. I wound up going with friends, a friend that I was attracted to, that I wasn't, that was unrequited. I didn't know how to deal with all these emotions. Then I, then he went off on his own way, and I went off on my own way, so I was traveling alone through Europe, and I was scared, and I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. So the only thing I knew to do was eat chocolate. Lots of chocolate. And it wound up that I, at the end of Europe, that I was, Getting on a, getting right, I had Europass. I ate through all my money, and I wind up getting on a Euro with my Europass. Getting on the train, eating chocolate, passing out, coming to a train station, getting off, getting to one of those like little chocolate stand, little chocolate machines, buy more chocolate, get back on the train, and pass out again. And that's how I spent the last couple of days in Europe, just pass out on trains because I was binging my way through Europe. Now, I don't know if I'm a bottom skid row compulsive overeater, but if a doctor tells you you're going to go blind if you don't stop eating sugar and you wind up passing out because of all the sugar you're eating, you would think that I went jaywalk again, right? You would think that I went jaywalk one more time, but yet I did. So, what happened is I came back to, um, came back to Los Angeles and I... Um, went to a meeting and uh, this the man this leader was a man he talked about moderate mealing you know which is a novel concept because I had gray sheet I had all these reasons why I couldn't do gray sheet I'm a seven or I'm like a 20 something year old man I you know I'm gay I can't do gray sheet for crying out loud I, mean, I can't do that restricted diet um so it's moderate mealing, and, uh, and I, I couldn't really go to Overs Anonymous because over, uh, I was gay, and you guys wouldn't appreciate the fact or respect the fact that I was gay. So at this meeting, my first meeting back, they said, oh, there's lots of, there's like a meeting every night at the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center. Friggin' A, wouldn't you know it? All those excuses that I had, all those excuses that I had, the reason why I could be a member of Overs Anonymous, were wrong. Were wrong. All the reasons I had why I'm different was wrong. It was my head. It was my stinking thinking that said, no, you don't understand. No, you, you don't understand. I'm different. So, which I love you folks. Like, that's okay, honey. You just keep coming back. And, you know. So I, I, got, I started going to meet, uh, like a meeting every night, doing fellowships, started sponsoring um, sex sp- food sponsoring um, got a sponsor after a couple of, after about a couple of months I had lost my weight and I was done with you folks I went to my sponsor and says I'm sick and tired of going these rooms full of fat ass people talking about their problems I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and cannot eat what I can and cannot eat I want to go live my life <laughs> on a Saturday night I don't want to be out dancing with the boys in Palm Springs I, mean, I don't want to be sitting somewhere I'm meeting here I am still sitting standing in some damn meeting on a Friday night or Saturday night I think it was Friday night it was, it was Stallions it was Friday night and uh, and I was done I, I don't need you I don't want you I don't care about you because you are me and every time I every time I go to no way meeting I get reminded now today the good news is when I come to no way meeting I get reminded that I'm a cliche. That I'm just a run-of-the-mill compulsory with the same old type of stinking things that we all have and that the 12 steps will solve my problems. That the 12 steps 
is a solution to my thinking. But when I'm in my disease, you people are the problem. If I didn't hang out with you, I wouldn't have the problem. So I left. And I went out for about two weeks and tried to... I remember driving from my sponsor's house. Okay, God, you and me, we're going to eat when I want. We're going to have fun to help those people in LA. I mean, I, I'm just talking to God. I did a lot of talking to God that night after I left my sponsor's house. Um, can I give you a little hint? Shut up. Don't talk to God. Listen. Listen to God. That'll make a big difference. But I was too busy talking telling God what I was going to do to listen to what I needed to do to listen to God um, so what happened is I wound up uh, on January 5th 1979 I uh, broke my absence on two pieces of toast and that's my last binge two pieces of toast as I always say if I knew it was my last one I would have done better but two pieces of toast killed me two pieces of toast took me to play took me to the donut stand mentally took me to the donut stand I was going to get my donuts it was a new donut stand I'd never been to this donut stand before but it was pink like all my favorite donut stands and I was going to get my donuts and I got scared and I said oh god I cannot do it one more time I cannot do it one more time please help me and it had nothing to do with weight because like I said I maintained my weight at 160 pounds on the donut diet I was not scared of gaining weight I was scared of the insanity the mental obsession that that, that stinking thinking that goes like, like okay okay they're, they're, what are you thinking about I don't know what, oh my god I just moved my hand wrong oh my god like, okay so now what can I do okay I'm, I'm scared I'm scared okay what do I do okay I gotta get some food I gotta get some food if I get some food I'll be fine and so I, uh, on January 6, 1979, I came back to Overeaters Anonymous. Now, you kids, oh, <laughs> you got it so easy. Can I tell you, texting your food in, texting a chain, seriously? Oh, I had to go to a phone booth. Right? How to keep quarters. Mm-hmm. Didn't have cell phones. No. No. Ugh. You kids got it so easy these days. And then I hear people go like, well, I can't find a sponsor. How much time have you got, baby? Well, six weeks. And you can't find a sponsor in these rooms. Oh, well, you're looking for perfection, are you? Oh, yeah, I understand. We all wanted that perfect sponsor in the beginning, right? Someone that's me just like me that will get either and call me on my on my BS when I need them to call me, when I want them to call me, and not call me on it when I don't want them to call me on it. I want them to be like my mother and my nursemaid, but I don't want them getting pushed into me buttons because it's no, because that's not what I signed up for, right? That's the sponsor we're looking for, but just someone that's going to be nice to me, right? And they're going to help me with, with my diet. That's kind of what we look for in the beginning. Some of us go for the person we're most scared of. Whatever. You know, um, what can I say about how Always Anonymous has changed my life? I got abstinent when I was, you know, um, 24. I'm 59 now. You know? So, I mean, it's like, it is my life. Always Anonymous is my life. I get service. Not to be of service to you, 
because it saves me. Right? I don't know if you've ever gone to a meeting where the door was locked and there was no one there and you needed a meeting so bad that you just, you're dying on the inside and there's no meeting. But you know the answer would be a meeting, but there's no meeting. Because maybe no one showed up with a key or they didn't think it was, oh, it was tired tonight. I, I mean, this, this program has changed my life. It has reworked my thinking. One thing that, one, one of my, I, I lead retreats and which means it's interactive. I try and do inter- these interactive. And one of the sessions I do during the, uh, these retreats is I get it like a whiteboard and draw a line down the center and I put on one side stinking thinking and the other side God talk. Because I feel that compulsory readers, we don't know the difference sometimes. That we just think, well, it just makes sense. I had this roommate um, once who came to me and was, got, was very upset with me. I mean, extremely upset with me. He said, why don't you wash your car on Saturday? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, everyone washes their car on Saturday. You don't wash your car on Saturday. Why don't you wash your car on Saturday? What's wrong with you? And I looked at him like, what? <laughs> like, Saturday? Like, so I'm supposed to wash my car on Saturday? Like, maybe because I don't feel like washing on Saturday. Maybe it's not dirty. Who knows? But that's the type of thinking we have, right? He happened to be, I don't want to say that he was an Al-Anon or had some other ism, but his father was an alcoholic. So maybe he had that ism. I kind of saw myself a lot in him, but he, you know, only he can say he is. But I get that. It only makes sense. I mean, one thing that my sponsor beat the, beat out of me. Well, if it was me, I would have. You know, like, well, if it was me, I would have made the phone call. If it was me, I would have said, if it was me, and she beat that out of me. I don't know, she beat it out of me, or I beat it out of myself because I got frustrated one more time because they're not doing it right. You know how no one does it right? No one. And one thing I've learned is I'm going to fail everybody sooner or later. Oh, well. You know, that's why our literature, that's why our program says, it's not about me. It's not about an individual. It's about the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and working the tools. It's not about one individual. You know, all I can say is that what happened with me is I worked 12 steps, 12 traditions, 8 tools, 9 tools now. Um, I worked them. And that's what you see is what you get when you work a program. Now, there's no special handshake, no special book, nothing. I was sick. I was the guy in the first year crying in the corner because I was so, you know, oh, God bless newcomers. They make me crazy. Mm -hmm. The insanity I hear when I work with someone who's new. And you all know that, I mean, some of you heard me this, but as far as I'm concerned, you're new until you have 10 years or less. I mean, if you have 10 years or less of absence, you're new. And I don't care what you say. And if you're in seven years right now of abstinence, I'm just going to say, baby, hang in there. Just hang in there. It will get better. It will get better. But if, if you're in that fray, that area, you, it kind of gets kind of rank. The human ego comes back. Because you start buying our press releases, right? We love to buy our press releases. Like, oh my God, I'm working a good program. They think I'm working a good program. Oh my gosh, how great am I? <laughs> you know so you work a really great program you get to be queen of the fatties or king of the fatties 
That's, that, I mean, that's the reward, right? That, if, that, if that's what your human ego is going for, like, oh, my God, I'm here with the best program. Because I understand I was trying to work the best program ever. And that's why I couldn't write a fourth step for three years because I had to write the best fourth step ever. Um, and I had to have, like, this oak desk and a case green shade. And I was in this cooler full of soda next to me and a box of Kleenex over here. And I write and cry, write and cry. <laughs> So I got this new sponsor when I was about three years absent. He said, have you written an inventory? I said, no. He said, you don't understand. You're going to, you have it to me by the end of the the, uh, week. I said, no, you don't understand. I've been trying to write this um, fourth step for three years now. He says, no, you don't understand. You will have your inventory to me by the end of the week. Yes, I I had to stop going to fellowship and write on my inventory. I had to, I had to like, during lunch, Right on my inventory. So, my experience, and I want to pass this on to you, don't take longer than a week. If we were taking longer than a week, you got too much narrative in there about what she said, and then he said, and then I said this, and then she said, and it's too much defensive of what your character defects are. Just write down your character defects. Just write them down. Make a list of people that you hold resemblance against. It's not this huge... I mean, if you look at the columns in the big book, it doesn't talk about how Mrs. Brown and, you know, uh, Mr. Brown were like... No, it doesn't say, oh, then they did this, and then they went over there to the bar, to bar and then they did that, and then they did this, and that's why I have the resentment. It says, no, I have a resentment. Because I, I'm jealous. It's not this... So, please... And, oh, my God, if you start writing your inventory, and you're, like, taking you weeks or months to do it, Oh my God, you bring up all that stuff and now you're sitting with it? All that stuff that we ate over and you're still sitting with it? Going like, oh yeah, I'm going to get more. I got news for you. Let's accept the fact that every one of you is going to be sitting in a meeting for the rest of your life. Every one of you will be sitting here for the rest of your lives. There is no graduation. There is no going anywhere. Now, you can take, you can leave. You can leave from this from OA. You can walk out the door like I did. We'll wait. We're the last house on the block. You ain't going no place. You can go get a stomach staple. You'll come back. You can go get, you know, get a man. I mean, you think, I mean, a man's going to fix me. I've seen so many people leave because of relationship, because they, they got what they wanted. They got a man, or they got a woman, and they're, they're good now. And we'll wait. Because this is, this is it. You know, ten years from now, Friday, uh, Saturday night, you're going to be sitting and light a candle. <laughs> <laughs> or like me. Thirty-six years later, I'm listening to how it works. Right? But one of the nice things about that, I'm happy. I wake up cheerful. I have a good attitude on life. Because I worked a 12-step program. Not because of my own doing. I used to walk around campus with my head bowed, hoping people would notice that I wasn't like in a good mood. And they'd say, Cheryl, what's wrong with you? I'd say, I'm fine. No, Cheryl, you look like you're kind of depressed or something. No, I'm good. And all I wanted was your love. So I was using negative energy to get your love to say that you love me. 
Today I get just to be me. I get to be Terrell. By working steps. By hanging out in the OA. By being of service at the meeting level, at the intergroup level, at the region two level. Don't push me to world service yet. <laughs> but that's what this program promises us. Nowhere in our literature does it say that you're going to make money. Nowhere in our literature does it say you're going to get a relationship. Nowhere in the world does it say that you are going to reap the benefits of the kingdom, whatever, material benefits. It says you can be joyous, happy, and free. And by God, that's enough. By God, that's enough. Joyous, happy, and free. And a brain that doesn't tell you you're a worthless piece of 24-7. That's enough. I think that time for your questions? Okay. Oh, um, the question is, what is my concept of a higher power? Um, like I said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in a deity. I don't believe in a God of parking spaces. I don't believe in divine intervention. But what I do believe in, which my higher power is, love, hope, kindness, faith, serenity, peace, tolerance, understanding. So the flip side of that is fear, anger, Remorse, judgment. So I have a choice today. Do I turn my will, my life, to care of my higher power or to my human ego? And I find that when I turn my will, my life, over the care of my higher power, kindness, faith, peace, joy, serenity, abundance, enough, life gets better. Not materially. I'm talking to this gal in Canada who her higher power is is her job. Her job is her higher power. It's all about her job. I've been I've been unemployed. I've been fired. I have got sick with hepatitis in 1984 and living on handouts from people in this program. It's not the job. I was several years ago when I was I don't know 20 years ago something like that 18 years ago I was driving to a meeting. Had a new car, a new jo- a new apartment, and a new job. It was like all this stuff. And I was, couldn't wait to come to to a meeting. I was trying to to a meeting, and I talked about how how wonderful life is and how happy I am because of all these things. And the thought occurred to me: Well, if I lose these things, will I be unhappy? And the answer came back: No. So my higher power works. It works a hundred percent of the time. You can borrow it if you want. <laughs> Any other questions? So my absence is I don't eat sugar and I don't eat flour and I haven't for 36 years. And for the first 17, 18 years, I only had three meals a day restriction. Um, I started taking HIV medicine and it was turned up my gut. So I went to my sponsor and said, I, I, I'm going to eat what I can eat. Um, my food plan today is I don't do more than two trips to a salad bar. Um, I don't eat corn because I'm allergic to it, but I don't put corn in my... Corn is not, corn is not something that, 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 I'm, that I'm mentally allergic to, that if I have some corn, I want more corn, I want more corn. Um, I don't eat uh, onions because it's, it's, I'm allergic to it, and it's on my food plan. 
Um, I try to eat something green. That's in my food plan because that's my own devices. I mean, I'll just I'll have cheese and and my stomach really I have really it's really screwy. I mean, I I'm a compulsory eater with really bad digestion issues, really bad digest. I've seen, you know, I know. I, throw up without even wanting to. Like, you know, that's just really bad digestive issues. Um, I'm probably believing the stream or... But anyway. Um, so I, I, I tend to eat those type of foods. The foods that are, that are going to be easier on my stomach. Um, but I really see a distinguish. Because I've had perfect absence for 36 years. Perfect. Because once it's not perfect, that's a broken absence and I'm starting over. My food plan is like... It's crazy. Right? But I have the I have the confines. I have the confines. Because they said, like, I, I come from old school where we used to go to AA meetings. And I would hear about these alcoholics can do some crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And they'd say, well, did you drink? And the alcoholic would go like, well, no. And then they said, well, you're a miracle. <laughs> but you just, like, shot someone. You're a miracle. <laughs> so I believe that we have to... This is my opinion. It's not in our literature. But I believe that we need a bottom-line breakable assets. Whatever it is, I don't care what that bottom-line looks like. It could be no guilt-free eating or no guilt-free eating. I don't know what guilt-free eating is about, right? I put on 20 pounds in four months because I was putting back on weight. That all my, every people look at me and go like, oh, my God, you're so, oh, my God. You look, oh, how sick were you? But I was, I was thin, you know. So that's why I look at the, the an absence is, this is what if I go if I take one bite of German chocolate cake today, thirty six guns is thirty six hour thirty six is gone. And if I take if I eat corn today or if I go three trips to the salad bar, I gotta look at that. But I didn't break my abstinence. I don't know if that may be clarified what it is. I have a I have a lifelong lifelong commitment to exercise. Exercise is part of my routine. My morning meditation is I go to the gym and do an hour of cardio. It's where I, I'm skimming through all the news programs, but I'm zoning out. My meditation also is doing free cell because it's, I have to be in the moment. I can tell if I'm not in the moment when I'm, um, if, I, if I'm losing track of all these stuff. So that's my, I know it's, cra- I know it's crazy, but that's my meditation. And my exercise, I, like I said, I have a lifetime commitment. I'm a firm believer in it. It makes me feel better. It keeps me healthy. I've gone through a lot of physical things, and I'm sure that's because I was exercising on a regular basis that, you know, that kept me, I had a hip replacement. I'm sure that was my, the, all the exercise I'd done kept then helped me with that. So, and with exercise, I don't think about it. Once I start thinking about do I exercise or not, I don't. Once I say I'm, I have a lifetime commitment to exercise, I do it. So if I don't go there this morning, well, I did go this morning. But if I don't go, like, then I will be back. And then I will, I will, you know, do it tomorrow. But I know it's a lifetime commitment. Thanks.